why I ultimately didn't keep doing corporate innovation and went to the startup side. I feel like there was a gap in my, my understanding when I was trying to work with all these startups, these really transformational companies about how best to work with them, understanding how to bring ideas to market. And I felt like I really needed to do that work in order to uh, best be able to work with them in the future. Because I think it's super important to the people doing corporate innovation of, of what the startups need the most. And, and truthfully, they need the advocate slash navigator the most because these are massive bureaucratic organizations. Walgreens had at the time 320, 330,000 employees. Uh, you know, Target had 385,000. They're, they're bigger bureaucracies in some ways than the United States government. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Awesoming's podcast, where we highlight people pursuing their definition of, you guessed it, awesome. So buckle up and get ready for some more success story adventures and failures from Kentucky's tech and entrepreneur community. Hey guys, welcome back to our second part of the conversation with a boy, Jake, not from State Farm, Miller, two L's, E-R. And he is going to talk about his experience from moving from the corporate innovation world to being a stud with Walgreens and Target and probably some other company that, you know, is Fortune 500, who knows, to being a startup founder and like he just had a small company and Really excited to hear his story. I know he's going to share a lot about his company, Toggle Health, and some of the growth he's had, but also how, how COVID and some other factors have played into his year. And Liz, I'm going to let you do the honors of saying, go back and listen to the previous episode. So why don't you say it? Go back and listen to the previous episode. I've been wanting to say that for months. Uh, really though, guys, if you missed number one, just stop. Don't be dumb. Go back and listen to it. Jake, I think, has given some of the most practical advice for corporate innovators. Uh, he built his career in the healthcare space and retail health doing innovation. Um, he's now in the startup space doing health innovation. We're going to talk about that in a second. So um, please go listen to episode number one. But Jake, today we want to talk a little bit more about your transition, why you chose to transition into the startup space, um, and then maybe some some tips and tricks, if you will. But how, how do startups and corporate companies work together better, more effectively, et cetera. So what, what did that transition look like? When were you kind of deciding, all right, it, it's time for me to, to do my own thing? Yeah, sure. For me, it was, it was um, I don't want to say it was a forced decision, but uh, the universe was sending me a message, I think, because <laughs> I, had, uh, I had my dream job when I was at Walgreens. I was re- working with the best new healthcare technologies, bringing these, these incredible opportunities to the fore. And then there was this corporate merger. And what's really interesting with corporate innovation, and one thing that anyone who goes into the space needs to know, is that a lot of times you're not part of, of the, the central hypothesis of the company when you start to do the innovations. And if there's like a corporate downturn or something like that, uh, the folks with innovation in their title often aren't the ones that, that stick around for the long haul because they may not have been able to get their ideas uh, to the level of fruition. Mm. As I mentioned in the previous episode, you know, they have about... 18 to 24 months really to get these things going and, and get them working so that they can have the support of the full board. And I, I went through two sequences of this. I, I did it at Walgreens and then I was uh, recruited. The reason I came back to Louisville, Kentucky, I was recruited into Humana to turn around 300 of uh, clinics that were part of this much larger uh, concentric organization they had acquired a few years before. And then about six months into the process, I just moved my family back to Kentucky. 
my boss uh, was saying, we're going to call a pause on this project to go, uh, really? Why? Because we have like 70 people working on this. Things are really going well. She goes, oh, we're going to call a pause. I go, yeah, what you're describing with this pause sounds a lot like when uh, Walgreens had started to divest uh, some of the resources, it, it, she just started smirking and go, yeah, that, that's what's happening. So they ended up divesting that, that wow. clinical organization. I was brought in to turn around. And so I was like, okay, what can we do differently? Can, can we create this clinical capability inside? And at the end of the day, we, we kept making some valiant attempts and we got pretty far into the process, but then the corporate winds blew and uh, they announced the Aetna merger. And huh. it was that same exact playbook once again, where they were going through the, the merger at Walgreens, where they started to carve off the things that weren't like absolutely necessary to driving the business Central. forward. Sure. And it's like, well, yeah, yeah. And I loved Louisville at this point. I was like, I want to stick around and I want to keep doing these innovative things. But, you know, this is two times in a row now. Uh, maybe I should look at starting my own thing. There's a bunch of things that lessons I haven't learned from from working in the startup world. I knew there were a couple things still missing in terms of my total knowledge. And I started advising startups and I came across the one that ultimately became Toggle Health and fell in love with, with the problem and the idea. And it was a new space for me. I'd worked in almost every part of healthcare at this point, except for the space that Toggle Health uh, operated in. I'm like, okay, I got a lot to learn, but I have a lot of knowledge about how to launch new businesses and new products. So I'm going all in. And so I got the approval of my wife and I created Toggle Health. And what Toggle does is we connect uh, surgeons to uh, their digital information when they're operating. We have a, a, a sterile wireless controller that allows the surgeons for the first time in the sterile field right above the, the patient to be able to control their digital information. And we have, it, it's a little bit like a Roku for the operating room. They plug a set-top box into these already existing medical grade monitors. Uh, it, it allows all the information to be streamed across these dumb monitors, and then we control everything with our proprietary controller. Hearing you explain Toggle Health for the first time years ago, I don't know if it made me feel better that you're in this space or worse at how how lagging technology is in a space where my body is literally cut open and people are operating on me. But I Oh, you would be so shocked by the level of technology. The interfaces in the operating rooms are many times like 1990s interfaces. Uh, I'm old enough to remember this. I don't know if you guys are, but if you remember old DOS interfaces or like WordPerfect in the late 80s, <laughs> early 90s, when you're using it in great, you, you guys are looking at me like I'm crazy. I, so. I want, but I want it, to make you feel better, but unfortunately we yeah, can't. Yeah, you, you can't. <laughs> Anyways, I, I think you can Google these things and see what it looked like. But it, what's amazing is uh, because of the heavy regulatory burden within uh, med, the medical device world and because of the type of UI UX experts they pull into this world, there's just really not high level design. And the, these neurosurgeons, some of the groups that, that we're talking to, they're some of the wealthiest individuals on the planet once they finally start operating on folks. Not while they're in med school, but sure. you know, they're, 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 they have the best technology at home, the absolute best technology at home. They come into their workplace and it's like the 1990s. And so we're, we're helping to connect them to their digital world in a way that involves high design and makes it just really easy and intuitive. Um, so yeah, I've been working on that for a while. Obviously COVID, when that hit, uh, set us back a bit. Uh, but you know, the, the one thing I could say is that I overestimated how, how much, uh, over, because I'd done so much new stuff in the past, I overestimated my ability to learn this new space as quickly as I could. It was a really, 
really interesting space. And I did all the hacks to finally figure it out. COVID hit, set us back. We're on our path back now uh, after recovering and, and, and pulling in some new team members. And so things are back on track with Toggle, but it's, uh, man, COVID was a challenging year. I'm chalking it up to my COVID year, though. Somebody told me that. It's like everybody gets a redo button. You and UK basketball so, are both. So, yeah, just, exactly. Just, just, COVID year. just, just press, your, <laughs> press your redo button and, and get going. And I, I think it tells everybody about resilience. The good news for Toggle, though, is that this um, the pandemic really educated a lot of folks out there on the need for microbial cleanliness, if you will, or sanitation or sterilization. And so we're starting to leverage that in the work we're doing. Jake, I remember when you pitched up Fibercross about a year or two ago that you walked the, the audience through the process of why having a Roku type device, you know, your company Toggle Health, why that was so important in the operating room. Can you tell our listeners about how tedious the sterilization process is when you are in a surgery and why your device is really a breakthrough? Yeah, they, they call the area right around the patient. It goes from about the shoulder level down to the waist level for the docs. And it involves their arms a little bit further up their elbow. Uh, and then the whole area of the patient right in front of them, that's called the sterile field. And they have a bunch of rules around what you can and can't do within the sterile field. And ultimately, if you touch a non-sterile surface with something in the sterile field, it, it invalidates the entire sterile field. And they have to throw all the drapes and whatnot away and they have to restart. And so it's this really owner's process to scrub in, to gown up, et cetera. It takes a bunch of time. The surgeons are really used to it. All the, all the clinicians, nurses around them are used to it. But it, it's, it's kind of a pain in the butt. And so you can't touch non-sterile surfaces, which if you think about it, most of the mice or keyboards or laptops or, or tablets that uh, you would usually use to... Uh, uh, contact your digital world you just can't get to so what these surgeons do is they've created all these crazy workarounds to solve the problem we've talked to two or three surgeons that print out the night before a bunch of their images even though they'll have like a twenty thousand medical grade monitor right next to them they'll get their nurses to print out 20 or 30 color pictures and tape them to the wall that's like they'll, printing out directions remember when we used to print out directions before you would get in the car to go someplace and now we use google absolutely. maps surgeons are still printing out directions that is yeah, wild yeah and this is so yeah it, it's crazy uh then you got the the folks that will upload things against hipaa regulations to the personal icloud accounts pull them down to their own ipad that's wrapped in a couple layers of plastic and then they're, they're smearing blood on the image that they're trying to look at while they're uh, referencing it. Uh, this, it, a lot of times they have to, if there's a computer in the corner with the imaging, they have to call a nurse over and he or she will try to manipulate the image and get it just right. But they don't understand the software. They don't understand the case. They don't understand the anatomy as well as the surgeon. And these surgeons are control freaks that, uh, for a good reason. You know, they want to see their stuff exactly as they need to see it. And they're trying to talk somebody else through it. I, I, I told somebody the analogy. It's a little bit like trying to talk your loved one through creating a spreadsheet for you without you ever touching the keyboard. It's like that level of intricacy. And then finally, the scariest thing, and this was about 70% of the, the couple hundred uh, surgeons that we spoke to, about 70% just try to memorize as much as possible, even though they may have two or three complex cases that day. And so if you think about it, they are brain surgeons and other surgeons like that, so <laughs> super smart, but they're still human. Right. And you know, if they went out the night before, and suddenly they're coming in the next morning and they haven't quite prepped. Do you really want them trying to work 100% from memory when they could just look something up relatively easily? Yeah. And so we've, we're, we're solving that problem for them and we're bringing the digital world. And what's funny is it's, it's not just around their imaging 
It's around their communication. They really want access to their tunes. They want their music playing while they're uh, <laughs> doing these multi-hour surgeries. So we're, we're just making that easier for them. Obviously, I'm thankful for the startup world because we gained you, but it does make me sad for the corporate innovation space to hear these stories of what, like why you left to hear that so many of these creative individuals who are innovating and moving and shaking, keep bumping their head on the bleeding cutting edge. So what to get back, like you're, you're doing this with Toggle Health now and it's life giving for you. It sounds like you are innovating. What, what can we do to bring those worlds together? I love this question because yeah, one of the things I always said is like, well, if Toggle never works out, I'll at least know what the other side's like, all this transformational <laughs> stuff. So if I go back, you know, it, it, it's all been worth it. And I think I learned a couple of really cool, critical things. And I think the looking at it from this side of the curtain, looking in at the big organizations, one of the most critical things that the corporate innovation team could be to to be successful and to more successfully bring in entrepreneurs that could bring different types of thinking and more transformational types of businesses successfully into the mothership, the best thing they could do is to be a navigator. Go back to the the target example, 380 something thousand employees at this place. Whose door do you knock on when you're an entrepreneur with limited time, limited resources, limited knowledge of the space potentially? Whose door do you knock on to make sure that you have the most success in potentially getting that into that company and getting access to their massive distribution? Um, That's a really, really tough proposition. So one of the things that the corporate innovation team can can do is act as an appropriate, I I don't want to say intake because intake can have a filtering function. And I've seen corporate innovation do it wrong to where they're the folks saying no to everyone instead of trying to find the way of appropriately introducing the new innovations and the, the, the startups to their org. But they have this, if it's done right, those navigators are a startup's best friend. They're, they're like, they're the best people. It's almost like finding, a, I don't know, like a friend in a video game that can help get you to the secret <laughs> stuff. It's, uh, I, I don't know how to describe it, but I've seen it done well. I've done it well myself after I, I emulated some of the folks doing it well, and I've experienced the pains of not doing it well. Many times entrepreneurs are told not to talk to corporate innovation teams uh, because they're a place where startups go to die. And I, I'd say there's a couple of reasons for that. One, they're not acting as a navigator. They're, they're just kind of fulfilling a, a, their own bureaucratic role. But there, there's, there's two ways that corporate innovation can really hurt startups. And startups need to know this. Corporate innovation needs to know it. One way is by stringing along the startup too much and just like you know, slow playing them, not really being committed to helping the, the startup to forward uh, their mission, et cetera. We call the it, other Keith way, always calls it long nose. He's like, just don't, don't give me a long, long no. Nose. Give me, give oh, me yeah, a short yeah. no, get, yeah. a quick no. Like, and give that me happens a, quick a lot no. with corporate yeah, yeah. Or, they, or they're saying yes, but they haven't really gotten the buy-in from their operational partners mm. to actually make it happen. You know, that's, a, that's another form of that long no, because it kind of sounds like a yes, but ultimately the, the power in the organization hasn't, hasn't said yes. Uh, the other side of it, I don't know if it's the contrapositive or what, but the other side of it is they can love a startup to death. And I've seen this happen multiple times. Huh. So say that you're a startup and you have five or eight people in your org. You're decently funded, but you only have so many, so many, uh, so much dry powder that you can use to so many shots on goal, et cetera. And now you have this corporate partner who comes to you and there is 10, 20, 100 of them for every one of you. 
and you're the bright, shiny object that they think is going to save the world. And it's very possible that if that relationship from the corporate side is not managed well with that, that bright, shiny new startup, that they can love them to death and ask too much of them and too many people reach out and, and whatnot. So it, it really needs to be a situation where the entrepreneur in that case or the startup has the ability to focus based on the blessing of some internal resources. And that's where corporate innovation can, can do a good role. Don't give them the slow no, but also don't allow them to be loved to death. Once you find that, that hidden gem of a startup, make sure that you're, you're, you're structuring it in, in such a way that uh, their limited resources can be applied the best to help your company. That's gold, Jake. I, uh, I, I can't top that. I have a thousand more questions. We should probably just have you back on the podcast. Done. <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, no, I, I just, I do hope, I do hope that corporate innovators, startups are taking note uh, to learn from it. Um, there's, I think we're excited. We're excited about the road ahead. I think more and more, com- the more disruption happens, the more awareness there is that corporate innovation is necessary. But I just love, I hope people are are truly taking to heart. I just feel like you're giving very practical advice instead of what should be done, but how it, how it can actually be done. So Jake, thank you. Thank you for, for what you're sharing. And we no really, worries. we, uh, we're excited to have you as a re a repeat guest. Have we had a three Peter yet? Heard it first here Holy that cow. Jake Miller's going to be our first Jake, Jake three Peter. Could I be a first three Peter? Honestly, it'd yeah, be great if you something. would be. Keep flattering us and making you know, us feel the, famous and we'll have you back a third time. <laughs> or a fourth. You know, like the, you know, like the, uh, five timers on Saturday night live, do you get a jacket or something? Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I we'll need, talk offline. I need, okay. I need swag. How about some awesome mix swag? Done. We'll, do, we'll, we'll, we'll give you that. swag bucks okay. to our Excellent. store. <laughs> I'll give you my uh, my spring twenty twenty one bonus. How about that? Excellent. Excellent. That sounds good. Jake, not from State Farm. Miller. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, thank you guys. I'm huge. I'm huge fans of the. I'm a huge fan of the podcast. I know so you've, you. You flatter me. You made it into our impact report. Did you know that we put your we put your your feedback that you sent me via email. Your nice words. We did a little blurb in the impact oh, no. report. So literally, you you guys have little gems. We got to get we got to get you out to more people so that. Uh, I appreciate yeah, that. Everyone hears your wisdom. We'll push it out. Well, hey, we'll uh, we'll be in touch to, for the three peat. Um, but until then, yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Well, that's it, guys. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Awesomings Podcast. And another quick thank you to Lee Rosevere and a few members from our community who provide the music that you hear in this show. Lastly, give us a follow on Instagram, Facebook, all that jazz. Or even better, come on down to our space. Come be a part of our community and get plugged in. And let's start something awesome together. You guys rock. We'll see you next time.